Hello, my name's Adrian Goldberg and welcome to The Liquidator, the strictly 100% unofficial fan-powered West Bromwich Albion podcast. This time, so many things to discuss. A victory against Coventry, the baggies getting the show back on the road, our transfer deadline day dealings, a glowing review in a national newspaper for the Sportsman, one of the favourite pre- and post-match Desi pubs of many Albion supporters. Maybe, if we get time, we'll talk about the retirement of Tony Poulis and the commemoration of Cyril Regis at the Coventry City game as well. Oh, yeah, and a letter that has been sent to the government by the Mayor of the West Midlands, Andy Street, and the West Brom East MP, Nicola Richards. How are we going to fit it all in, I wonder? I don't know, but we'll find a way. Let's welcome the author of From Busaglo to Ballis, Chris Lepkowski. And Chris, first thing to say is that how important it was for Albion to put in a proper performance against Coventry after the dismal showing in the FA Cup against Bristol City. They said they wanted to put things right. They did. They did. They did indeed. And I thought it was a really important result because when you've had two setbacks like that, especially one of such a magnitude as the one at Bristol City, you do need that next result after that to be one that brings the club back online. And it, and it certainly did that. I thought it was a game that Albion controlled in the large period. They played quite high up the pitch. And there were a few performances that really stood out. In fact, there were many performances that did stand out. I thought all Brighton showed all the characteristics of why he is a good signing and will be a good signing for us, in my view. The experience, the guile, the craft, the ability to to find players with excellent passing, but his character as well. And I thought that was reflected by the team. I thought the team overall showed good character. They pretty much kept Coventry hemmed back and Coventry didn't really get any opportunities to to make their mark on the game. And when they did, it came from maybe sloppy play from ourselves on the rare times that we did commit to sloppy play. But overall, it was a really good performance. You know, the scoreline doesn't maybe reflect just how well we played. No, although I thought Coventry were a good side, actually. They had a chance early on when Guy Corres might have connected with one, a shot that flew across the face of goal. He couldn't quite get there. That was in the first three or four minutes, and that could have changed the course of the game. But David Button, and we'll mention him, only had one real save to make, a flying save late on from a free kick. But I think Coventry are a decent side and could well be higher up the table, one of those many clubs separated only by a few points in the middle of the table. And I do look at their central midfielder, Gustavo Hamer, and think that even though we're now looking pretty decent in central midfield, he's a player who could play at a higher level. But I've got to confess, like many fans, when the news came through before kickoff that Alex Palmer was injured, and we now understand that he may be out for as many as six weeks, possibly even more, after an ankle and a knee injury, which he noticed in training, you think, oh dear, Button's going to be in goal. And I think... The players must have been aware of that because he was mobbed at the end, but he didn't put a foot wrong or indeed an an arm or a leg wrong (laughs) against Coventry City. So that was good to see. And you talk about the, the number of good performances in that Coventry game. 
Dara O'Shea was phenomenal. I saw, I think it was Jed Wallace referred to him in a tweet after the match as concrete head. He got in the way of one ferocious shot from a Coventry City player and just carried on running as if nothing had happened. But he was brilliant, both in terms of his positional play, but his confidence in bringing the ball out as well. O'Shea has got his weaknesses as a centre-back. He's never going to be the quickest, but the way Corboran has got that unit playing defensively generally hides that deficiency and it brings out the very best in what O'Shea has got to offer. He's a good footballer. He's also got a great heart. And the other player who really impressed me, playing outside of what I would regard as his normal position, but really adapting to it very well, was Jed Wallace, who played in the hole. Mm. So to accommodate all Brighton, he played wide right. Dean Garner played wide left. Wallace came into the position that generally has been occupied by either Swift or Rogic, and he looked as if he was born to it. Sometimes he would drift over a little bit to the right, but it gave him the ability to be free-running, gave him freedom, but also a degree of responsibility as well beyond his normal role. And I thought Wallace, who is fast turning into an Albion hero, is just such a an all-action, energetic, wholehearted player. He was brilliant, I thought. Yeah, I thought Wallace thrived in that role. And the good thing about him playing there is that it gives him a, a much bigger pitch to play in. It gives him more scope, more range. And I thought it suited him. You know, I know that instinctively he's a wide player, but I said a few weeks ago that these players should be able to play across various positions. They're good enough to, even if they have a preferred position. And I think with the addition of Albright and obviously coming in, he can play on the right, as we saw. He can play on the left and and be an inverted wide midfielder, if that makes sense. You know, we've got a huge number of options there. And I thought the one player who made a difference when he came on was Swift. I thought he controlled that game where maybe we started to get a little bit sloppy, maybe started to a few mistakes started to creep in. But I wanted to speak about Dara O'Shea and, and Button because a few years ago, a friend of mine saw a lot of Dara O'Shea during a loan spell at Exeter. And the one thing he really spoke highly about was his ability to bring that ball out, to find passes, to link up play, which in the lower leagues isn't always the the, the natural thing to do. And I knew that O'Shea had this in him because I've seen it in his West Brom career, but on Friday, he really played well in that respect. He he linked up the midfield with the defence. He was calm. He was so confident with everything around him. He never looked troubled. And that's a sign and the mark of a really good assured defender and you you know the pace isn't his strength and we know that but he looks so comfortable alongside Peters and the guy behind him Button who deserves credit because we have been critical we're by no means the only people to have been critical of him but it shows that having a, a settled defense in front of you can make a big difference to a goalkeeper and not only has have we got that settled defence now, but the midfield is contributing to that and making our defence better with their presence and the the roles that they have to fulfil. And I think Button saw the benefits of that. I think we judge him on the cup games where he's not had a settled defence in front of him and he has made individual mistakes, possibly, possibly from his own weaknesses, but also maybe from having unfamiliar players in front of him who have been drafted in for those games. Now, behind a settled defence, there's no reason why he can't go on and have a few good games on top of that. I am wary that, you know, this is a guy whose confidence has been knocked and beaten and 
he has been given a lot of criticism. Hopefully that performance and that clean sheet and, and the way he was mobbed by his teammates for, for that save right at the end will stand him in good stead. And I hope it does. You mentioned Swift and there was one beautiful drag back in front of the Woodman corner late mm. on. He, he has got so much skill. Sometimes he uses that skill at an inappropriate moment or tries something when you think, come on, mate, the, you don't need to do that now. But he has got a kind of swagger about his play that I really enjoy and probably the closest thing we've had to Jason Kumas since his time at the Hawthorns. One other player to single out for praise as well, Grady Dean Garner. Of course, he scored a goal, and I think that will have done his confidence no end of good. He still did a few Dean Garner things in the game, beat one player, then ran into the next one or failed to deliver the decent cross. But hopefully that goal will get him playing with his head up a little bit and give him a bit more confidence because we all want to see the Dean Garner that we saw in that loan period and maybe this could be the start of a really good period for him. But coming off the back of the defeat at Bristol City and as you mentioned, the defeat against Burnley in the previous championship game, I think this was an important game to win. It was a game that Albion probably on balance just about deserved to win in my view and it bonded the team and it bonded the crowd and people were going out of the stadium in a real excited hubbub. This is a really tough month, February. We've got so many big games coming up with Blues and Blackburn and Middlesbrough and Hull, who are now resurgent. A Hull are comfortably mid-table, having looked like relegation fodder early on in the season. So this is a month, I think, that's going to be make or break for our playoff hopes. We just need to keep bobbing in around sixth position. And as we speak, we're sixth in the table. That's fine for now. Just make sure that we keep the momentum going. There will be setbacks, but I think there is a togetherness. There is a a solidity about the team. And 65% of people, by the way, on the Liquidator Twitter feed said that we had had a decent transfer window. Now, even at half past 10 on the day that the transfer window closed, you might have been hard pushed to say that because the one player who we talked about last time, Lewis O'Brien, didn't come. Clearly there was interest in him from other clubs and it seems as though Nottingham Forest wanted to insert a, a clause saying that the player would have to be sold for 10 million quid if he was lent out on loan and clearly we weren't in that market. So the O'Brien interest, which looked very real and very hot, disappeared. But then we signed Chalibur, and all the indications are that he's regarded as a, a very decent championship midfielder. But then Markle Brighton, which wasn't confirmed until nearly an hour after the transfer deadline finished, and I was doing a liquidator live on that, and it's like, will he, won't he, is he, isn't he? And we've got him. And as you say, good character. I know people who know Mark or Brighton. He's a local lad having come from... Tamworth is a good footballer. And my mate who's a Leicester fan said that he and a lot of Leicester fans can't understand why they let him go. That is definitely a a premium signing. So 65% of baggy supporters who responded thought we'd had a decent transfer window. And I'd agree with that assessment. He's the kind of player that um, if we were to go up, we'd possibly be looking at bringing him back for next season. He's got the 
characteristics, the the qualities to play in the Premier League, and you know, <laughs> it did look um, it, it was stretched. I mean, we we had to have the deal sheet in by eleven o'clock, which we had. So it was never really up in the air as to whether that one would happen. It, it, as long as we had that deal sheet in, it would be fine, and we and that's what happened. And as a footballer, you know, he's got huge qualities, and as a, as a personality, I know he's an ambassador for. Smile for Joel, which is a, a local charity. Yeah, um, that's how I. That's how I've come across yeah, him. And the yeah, people Smile for Joel, who I know very well, uh, speak very highly of him. He's a good guy, of course. And you know, the other signing who came in, Chalibur, brings experience with him as well, but also adds something, has a bit of quality, and well, say quality. I, I haven't seen a huge amount of him, but what he does do is bring competition into that area. And that can only help us. And I think that we've got now a well-stocked midfield. Um, we've got different strengths, different players for different occasions in there. And a lot of credit has to go. I mean, we've been talking about the game and we've heaped praise on certain players. A lot of credit has to go to Corbran because of what he's done in such a short space of time. But those players are drilled. They are so well so well prepared for the games, especially in what they do when they come out of possession. And that's such a big thing that I think let us down under Bruce, especially under Bruce, that our players just didn't know what to do, where to go, how to react, how to keep the shape, how to attack space when we don't have the ball. These players do that. They do it so well. And I think having two additions, especially Albrighton, who is going to be such an important player, not only with his ability on the ball, with his right foot and his ability to switch wings, but the work rate he will bring and the positional value he will add in terms of all the work he can do off the ball to support us when when we're out of possession. That is going to be a really big thing for us. And I think that's one of the best signings potentially that we've made in January. And I hope it will be because he could be a really important player for us. I remember when Gary Megson signed Rule Fox. It was his old mate from Norwich in one of our promotion seasons. And he was just the wise old head that we needed. He was a decent footballer, but he also was able clearly to bring that experience to bear on his teammates. And I'm hoping that all Brighton will have the same impact. One other feature of the Coventry game was the Cyril Regis tribute. This was the anniversary of Cyril's death or around the time of the anniversary of Cyril's death. And of course, he played for Coventry, won the FA Cup with Cov. So it was a, a timely moment. As so often, Albion handled it really well. At half-time, there was a choir singing The Lord's My Shepherd, amongst other things. It was a, a really great musical tribute to Cyril, and fans were treated to some of the, the goal highlights of his fantastic career. And I know you spoke to Cyril far more than I ever did, Chris, and knew him as a man in a way that I could never claim to have done. But as a fan, I can still remember that League Cup First round, first leg, or it might have been second round, first leg against Rotherham United and fans were eager to see him. We'd heard a lot about him in the reserves. This guy we'd signed for £5,000 from Hayes and he scored two goals in that game. And those who were there felt, oh, could we have unearthed something here? This might be a player for the future, but who, who knows? Then the following Saturday, we played Middlesbrough at home. And it was in that period when Albion were doing reasonably well in the top division. And we might get 30-odd thousand 
35,000 for a big game, but it would drop down to 17,000 for a, a less prestigious game. And the Middlesbrough game, I think, was one of those. It wasn't a particularly well-attended match. And Cyril scored the first of his trademark goals from the halfway line, and it was absolutely astonishing. Now, if you look back at the video highlights, you'll see he probably scored 20 or 30 of those goals in his career, and he never stopped scoring those goals with the fantastic run and shot, one of which against Norwich won him the goal of the season. But that was the first time I saw Cyril score a goal like that. And in that moment, you knew we were in the presence of someone special. Quite rightly, Cyril is lauded, along with Laurie Cunningham and Brendan Batsman, for the social and cultural impact that they had. And that is really, really important. But watching those goal highlights just reminded me, what a fantastic, I mean, a truly fantastic footballer that we had at the Albion and possibly the best player in my time watching the Baggies. And I've seen a fair few good ones. He was the only player, Albion player, to score on five different debuts in different competitions. So he scored on his League Cup debut, his League debut, his reserve debut, his FA Cup debut and his UEFA Cup debut, I believe. If that's wrong, then I'm sure somebody will put me right. I'm fairly sure that's the case. And footballer-wise, I didn't see him at West Brom. But as you said, I, I did get to know him in later years and... What a great guy. And and he would have loved that musical tribute because music was a really big part of his life. Only a few weeks ago, we heard Graham Silk tell us a story about how Cyril and Laurie disappeared after one game to go and see Hot Chocolate at the 100 Club in London. And, you know, I know from speaking to him over the years when I knew him and he was really into his music. He was really passionate about that. So he would have loved that halftime tribute to him, I'm sure. And the greatest tribute you can pay to Cyril as a footballer, is that he brought together the fans of Coventry, Albion, Wolves and Villa. And I don't think there is any footballer in the world otherwise who could do something like that and have a common, for those sets of fans to have a common bond over somebody. And that goes to show how well loved he was in the game and what an important player he was, not only for the things, magnificent things he did on the field, which you've touched upon, but for the impact he had off it, and along with Laurie Cunningham and Brendan Batson, who incredibly, incredibly celebrates his 70th birthday this week. He looks about 50, if that. And I wish Brendan a really happy birthday. I'm sure his story will come out one day about all the challenges and all the things he faced as a footballer and as a black footballer in that time. And credit goes to the club by the way for that tribute that magnificent tribute and to Coventry for obviously being willing participants in that as they would be because for all the great things he did for us it's a small dink of regret that he only ever really won one thing and that was the FA Cup with Coventry so ideal opponents and um, I think he'd have been pleased with that result just a bit as well a 1-0 win but Coventry by no means disgracing themselves and adding to a really good contest between the two clubs yeah, yeah, he was Albion. There's no question about it, Chris. He was <laughs> Albion, you know. I mean, obviously, you play for a club and you have a fondness and affection for them if things have gone well, but nah, Cyril was Albion, no question about that. Now, I hate Friday night football if it's an away game because it, it's difficult to get there, but from a home fan perspective, I do actually quite like Friday football. I think I mentioned to you this before. You got that whole excitement at the end of the week and the beginning of the weekend, and I did a, a Desi pub double 
around the game against Coventry. So before the game, I went to the Soho Tavern in Hockley, which is near the Benson Road metro station. So only a couple of stops from the Hawthorns. That's very popular with Albion supporters coming from the Birmingham side of the ground. And after the match, I went to the Sportsman in West Bromwich, which seemed to be serving till well after midnight, I'm sure entirely legally, and a massively popular pub with Albion supporters. Imagine my surprise when a mate sends me a link to the Observer newspaper and their restaurant review with a guy called Jay Rayner, who is a guy I've interviewed in the past, a very kind of, you know, posh food critic, reviewing The Sportsman in West Bromwich. And he gives it a really good review. And his uh, headline is, you've won at lunch if you go to The Sportsman. And every fan will have their own pre- and post-match ritual. But I've got to say, for me, and I know for many thousands of fans, going to a Desi pub an Indian-owned pub that serves a mixed grill or a curry, beer as well. You know, a fantastic mixture of Asian and British traditions is one of the highlights of going to the Albion. And it is seriously one of the great things about the Baggies is that we have more Desi pubs per square mile within the area around the ground than any club in the country. So well done, the sportsman, for getting a good review in The Observer. I don't know how many people who go to The Sportsman read The Observer. I don't know how many people who read The Observer will go to The Sportsman, but it's a feather in their cap. And I've mentioned two great boozers there, two great Desi pubs. We're always open to suggestions for more, though. It is just one of the great features of of being a Baggies fan. It is, you know, and um, I remember the COVID period where we were locked up and we couldn't do anything. And um, one of the things I really missed was uh, mixed grill and going to these Desi clubs because it's not just the food, it's the smells, it's the atmosphere in there. It's just they're really nice, welcoming places. And I was so desperate to indulge in one that I actually ordered the mixed grill from a local one in Warsaw. I've got to say, it was such a disappointment. It was effectively a bag of meat, and it just wasn't the same as when they bring it out on the skillets or sizzling, and you get that initial outpouring of smell and aromas. Um, but they are—they're such an important fabric of our of our community now and our, our matchday experience. I've seen—I was asked to do a bit of pre-season work for four four two, and I know that one of the questions asked of fans was which away trip you're looking forward to most, and. I seem to recall a couple saying that they enjoy coming up to West Brom because of the pubs, because of the vine and because of the sportsmen, because of all the pubs around there that serve these mixed grills or Desi pubs, as they're called. So it is a brilliant aspect of supporting Albion and being a West Midlander that we should embrace because it's it's become a staple. It's become a landmark of our community, our society. And I know that I'm into cooking programmes myself and I saw one on a Saturday a few months ago that was effectively an Asian lady going to various Asian pubs and communities around the country. And she actually went to to a Desi pub in the West Midlands because that's what we're associated with. So, yeah, I, I read that review that uh, that was in The Observer and um, good luck to the sportsmen. You know, they're on my list of pubs to go to, definitely. Off the field, of course, things haven't improved. We're still owed, who'd have thought it, five million quid by Gurchan Lai, uh, borrowed from the Albion to prop up his ailing companies in hospitality and entertainment, we are told, even though, as we have established on this podcast, the Hong Kong Company Registry shows no connection between Gurchan Lai and 
that company, Wisdom Smart. We're not saying that there isn't one. We're just saying that there isn't one visible on the Hong Kong Company Registry. I know that the West Bromwich East MP, Nicola Richards, has now written to the Culture Secretary, Michelle Donnellan, along with Andy Street, the West Midlands Mayor, talking about the baggies and about Birmingham City as well and calling for the heritage that football clubs represent to be protected. I know that there is a white paper, and a white paper, for people who don't know, is essentially a government idea. It's a proposals that a government has when it thinks about new laws, new legislation. So there is a white paper in the offing around the regulation of football, and an MP called Tracy Crouch put forward a, a few proposals which would lead to greater regulation of football and that white paper was leaked to one of the papers the other day. So well done to Nicola Richards, well done to Andy Street for just writing to the Culture Secretary, asking the Culture Secretary to bring forward that white paper, to hurry it up because clubs like the Baggies and the Blues need more protection. And the idea is that what I suppose for most football fans would be really obvious things like not changing your name, not changing the the basic colours of your shirt, not moving your stadium. These things should not be done without the approval of supporters, but also calling perhaps more fundamentally for regulation of the finances of football and regulation of the ownership of football. I guess it's too late for us now. They're not going to retrospectively say that Goethan Lai shouldn't have any involvement in the baggies, but it might in future when he sells protect us from a rogue owner. So well done to them. It can't come soon enough in my view. Well, it's important for us because actually, as you rightly said, it's too late in terms of our current ownership, but going forward, we will at some point be sold and we want our club to be moved into the hands of the right person and this white paper can't come soon enough in that respect i've said for a long long time now on social media and on here that football desperately needs an independent regulator because the efl especially but also even the premier league cannot cope they don't have the resources to be able to police these situations or these takeovers so yeah hopefully this will be something that brings some hope to supporters going forward that their clubs won't be left in the the kind of state that ourselves and Birmingham especially find themselves in right now yeah and when you say you don't have the money they don't have the money Chris I mean they do have the money they don't have the will in my view no when I say resource I actually said resources but and by that I mean the staffing levels the well I know but they haven't got the staffing levels because they've chosen not to look at it hard enough and make it part of their business. I mean, ultimately, this responsibility rests with the FA, doesn't it, as the the governing body of football. But collectively, the FA, the Premier League, the Football League, they haven't wanted, or the clubs that make up their membership, haven't wanted this kind of close scrutiny. And so they've chosen not to have it. There is plenty of money in football to fund this. And ultimately, if the independent regulator does come in, it's going to be football clubs who will fund it with a levy, on broadcasting fees. So I, I just don't want you to let them off the hook, Chris. I think football has chosen to look the other way. Now, I've got to tell you, back in the late 80s, this is how old I am, Chris, I went to see Graham Kelly, who was then the chief executive of the Football League at the Metropole Hotel by the NEC. This was an era you will remember, or you will have read about in the history books, when the government of the day wanted to force every football fan to carry an identity card, or as they called it, a membership card, to get into a football ground. You couldn't 
if this law had gone through, have been able to go into football without having something to prove your ID. And although there was a serious issue of hooliganism at the time, many people thought it was the introduction of identity cards generally for society, and a lot of people kicked back against it. And I went to Graham Kelly, and I said to him, Graham, we don't need a membership scheme or an ID scheme for supporters. We need one for the hooligans in the boardroom. That was about 35 years ago. And Graham Kelly picked his toes. He just had a shower. I won't go into any more detail. And said, hmm, that's interesting. And then he became, after his role at the Football League, became chief executive of the FA. And I conversed with him and wrote to him about this on more than one occasion. This is not a new issue, rogue ownership of football clubs, and it's one that football has chosen not to deal with. Thankfully now, even if it's going to take government action, they will be forced to deal with it. So just don't let them off the hook, Chris. They haven't cared enough about it. That's that's my view. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, rant over. One other note this week, Chris, Tony Poulis, a a really divisive figure amongst (laughs) Albion fans, has announced his retirement from football. Yes, indeed he has. I'm I'm sure many football fans, including many Albion fans, will be hoping it's a very, very long retirement and one that he commits to. I saw some criticism of him this week, actually. I know that Tony's been very passionate about how youngsters are treated in and out of football, especially those who are lost to football. And I saw some criticism of saying, well, he didn't treat our youngsters very well. And I will say this, and from knowing him as a colleague, there isn't a manager in our Premier League history who did more to integrate youngsters into the first team picture. Not only giving players debuts, not only bringing them into the first team circle, but doing so with such words and actions of encouragement we all know his football stank and it was horrible and it was the extreme. But there are times when you have to give somebody credit for the work they did. And he deserves credit rather than criticism for his work with our young players, especially people like Sam Field, Jonathan Leco, Carl Edwards, I think Kane Wilson, I think was there at the time as well. He brought them in. He gave them opportunities at a time when we had Premier League players in our club and for him to do that shows how good their development was. And actually, all of those players have gone on to have careers lower down the pyramid in the EFL. So it goes to show they weren't quite good enough. But the one thing I will defend him for is the work that he put in with Albion's younger players. Definitely. Yeah, I agree with you, though. His football stank. Got Albion yeah. to 10th in the top division, which is no mean achievement on paper, but drove people away from the club, who I know personally who have not returned, which is very yeah, sad. And, yeah. sure, and I'm sure Poulis is a good guy, by the way, at a human level. And I think you're right. He tried to nurture Berahino, put the arm around the shoulder. Decent human being, not a football manager whose style would be welcome any time again at the Hawthorns. Right then, trivia. What was last week's? We had a few in for that, by the way. We did indeed. Uh, I asked who played nine games for Albion, scoring four goals, then went on to play for Birmingham, Warsaw, before moving then to the south coast with Plymouth, Exeter, brief stint in Wales, and then returning to Shropshire. And the answer from David Harrell, amongst others, is Kevin Summerfield. I was at the same junior school. He was the exceptional standout player. We all expected him to go on to greater things than he did. 
as an Albion fan, I was delighted to see him at the club, but the powers that be decided to move him on. And I asked him what school was that? It was Whitehall Junior School in West Bromwich Road, Warsaw. With Kevin in the team, says David, it was the best junior outfit in the region. He scored a load of goals every game. Had a great career, but not quite where Albion were in that era. He was a very decent pro, though, wasn't he? Come on, then, what's this week's trivia question, mate? Yeah, a few days ago, obviously, we brought in Chalibur and we got rid of Martin Kelly, who went to Wigan. And both players lead the way in terms of the shortest ever England careers. And I've actually seen a list of the shortest England internationals or the shortest length of time spent on the pitch by England internationals. And in the top 12... Those two lead the way, but there is another player who previously played for Albion in the top 12 of shortest England careers. Who is that player? Okay, answers via email, please, to goldbergradio at gmail.com. Please put trivia question into your header. And if I remember, I might give you a mention next week. Thanks to everybody who took part in last week's. And before we go, just a reminder, if you can, to support Smedic Food Bank, helping the neediest members of the community closest to the Hawthorns. Just put Smedic Food Bank into your search engine and find out how you can help them. Right then, I'll see you next week, Chris. Cheers, mate. Ta-da. Ciao.